Welcome to the Get a Job, Here's How podcast, the practical how-to guide for women returning to the workforce, recent grads, and those looking to get the job of their dreams. Now, here's the founder of the Back to Business Women's Conference and your host, Katie Dunn. Welcome to the Get a Job, Here's How podcast. I'm Katie Dunn, founder and CEO of Back to Business and your host. I'm here to help you get a job, and I'm not just going to share advice on our topic in each episode. I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it, because here's how are two of my favorite words. It's get a job, here's how. Let's get started. Hello, listeners. I'm very excited to be with you today and have my guest, Annie Franceschi, with me. This is super exciting for me because I just recently finished reading her book, Permission to Try, and it was such a wonderful read. I was so excited about it that I reached right out to Annie to see how could we collaborate around this. And she was gracious enough to agree to come on the podcast and talk to us about it today. So welcome, Annie, to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me give a little bit of background on Annie and then you give us the real scoop in in your own words. Annie is a best-selling author, speaker, and small business branding expert. She's based in Durham, North Carolina. And in 2013, she quit a dream job at Walt Disney Studios to start her own agency called Greatest Story Creative. She's worked with over 90 businesses. She's spoken for thousands of people, and she's released a number one self-help book called Permission to Try. And Annie has been a partner to entrepreneurs as they get their businesses off the ground, get their branding straightened out and out into the world so they can run their successful businesses. And so we are very fortunate to have her joining us today. So Annie, that's sort of the official bio on Annie, but tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Well, super glad to be here. Again, my name is Annie Franceschi and I run a business called Greatest Story Creative. I'm based here in Durham, North Carolina, but I work with small business owners, a lot of coaches, consultants, and service business owners all around the country. People come to me because they struggle with how to communicate what they do. So I help people write their clear marketing message, design their cohesive, consistent visual brand, and put it all together in a compelling website in a one-stop solution. This was sort of not the, the path I thought I would be on when I went through college. And I know people who are listening, maybe trying to get that big corporate job. I did that, right? I went to, to Duke University undergrad here in Durham. I thought I was going to be in the film industry and ended up working for Disney. And in that process, discovered that corporate America wasn't for me. And I'm really glad I had that experience. But now um, I can say six and a half years later that I really, truly, deeply love what I do. And it's not just a dream job, but a dream life. And that's the goal, right? It's a dream life. Well, that's really cool because I definitely know people who have jobs and they work at jobs because they need a job. But I don't know that they would say they have the dream job or the dream life. So I think that's really something to be envied and something that you worked hard and made a lot of hard decisions to get to. So let's start there because honestly, I feel like I grew up very much with a sense that working for a big company, there was 
prestige in that. It's exciting to tell people you work for a big company name and everybody says, oh, of course, everybody knows what you're talking about. And that can be very impressive and uh, feel good. I, I think I definitely grew up with that sense that that was like success working for the big company. And so you got there. So tell us, tell us about that. Tell us how you got to Disney. Yeah, I think I, I totally feel that as well. And I had the same idea uh, in terms of that big dream job. Like you were supposed to go get the big job and be this big success. And that's a, it's sort of a success trap that I talk a lot about and permission to try. But like you, Katie, I grew up with an interest and I thought, well, how can I do filmmaking as a job? I was really into storytelling. I was writing screenplays in high school and into college. And I thought, well, how can I go work on movies and maybe write movies or produce movies? Like I just love going to the movies. I never thought I might end up at Disney. I wasn't shooting that big, but it was sort of, I fell into it in a way because I ended up working as the second assistant to the president of Lionsgate Films. So Lionsgate Films was, uh, they're the studio that released the Hunger Games. I actually bought the Hunger Games while I was there. Uh, I remember oh, one wow. of the junior execs came in. She had, was taking a bath and she was reading it that night. And she said, we have to buy this. We have to buy this. And there was this bidding war and they bought the Hunger Games uh, while I was there. So history in the making there. But I digress. So I was actually technically an intern. I was like a second assistant. So not even the first assistant, sort of like Anne Hathaway's character in Devil Wears Prada, right? So that was sort of my glamorous entree into the film industry. This was in 2008. Right. So when the economy tanked, I, that's the year I graduated. Uh, yeah, 2008. And when I'd spent about six months there, I was about, I was going to try to move up in the company. The idea was, you know, do this job and then you can kind of finagle that into a creative executive role, start going on that path to becoming a producer. But then what happened to me is what happened to many people. We had this sort of global recession, right? Bad time to be a recent graduate. But also there was a, a stock raider who was trying to take over Lionsgate, Carl Icahn, I think. He didn't eventually take it over, but that froze everything for me. And I started looking for a job and I happened to be in the right place at the right time. My resume got into Disney when they had just offered somebody a role and they turned it down. And I ended up being the perfect person to come in and be the assistant to feature film directors and producers on a film that was actually never made. But that was where I jumped to Disney for the very first time and, and had a dream opportunity to go work at Walt Disney Studios, like literally the animation studios where they made Cinderella and Snow White. And at the time they were making Princess and the Frog. So I was incredibly blessed to be to be there, crewed up on a different production that actually didn't make the light of day. But there, there's more to that story. For, but that's sort of how I ended up at Disney is I was job searching and I have one of my Duke professors, his daughter was in the film industry she was an executive working at Disney at the time. And I, I, she knew I was looking, we talked about it, hadn't heard from her. And then a couple months in, I just pinged her, sent her a quick one of those, Hey, how's it going? I'm still looking. She said, actually, let me resubmit your resume. And that, that is how I kind of snuck in the door. Ah, very good. Nice. Well, because it can't be easy to get into Disney and certainly in the middle of a global recession, when I'm sure they're cutting back on all things, including jobs. So sounds like that personal connection was really an important part of your entree into the company. It was, but they also like something that was very eye-opening for me about Disney is that I had, let's see, I had sort of three rounds of interviews at Disney. The first was I had several interviews to get that first job, right? They want you to meet with everybody because you're in the role I was going to be in. I was working with the entire production. I was essentially like the assistant to the whole, whole movie. 
basically. So I had to meet with everybody. Spoiler alert, six months into my role, they decided to stop the movie. And so the people I was working with were actually let go. And then I had to go interview to become a production assistant. So that included, I had to interview eight interviews with 16 people. My gosh, I didn't get the job because one of the pieces of feedback I got was I gave slightly different answers. I'm like, you tell me you're going to give slightly different answers being interviewed eight different times. By oh my gosh. Uh, but my final role at Disney, which was one of my best and my favorite, uh, was when I came to franchise management, which is basically a team that handled communications and product development for upcoming films, sort of treated films as brands themselves and worked with all facets of the Walt Disney Company to connect them to ongoing movies like Maleficent and Cinderella. That was the role I ultimately would call the dream job. But in that role, it took me four interviews to get to that initial role with nice. that team. So it, they are very serious about, even if you work for them, they want to see you at every level and they, they're going to call you if you have slightly different answers. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. Trying to be perfectly 100% consistent throughout eight interviews. It was a blessing. I wasn't cut out to be a production assistant. Uh, very nice. Well, and in hindsight, those are the kinds of things that you think about and realize, right? Absolutely. So, so I hear the energy and excitement in your voice as you talk about all of that and getting to the interviews. And so I'm wondering at what point were you there and started to think this really isn't for me after all? I think it was the unique opportunity I had to kind of get a taste of what I thought I wanted. Many of us don't get a chance to sort of do the job we think we really want. Uh, we're always spending a lot of our time spinning our wheels trying to prove that we can do that job. And I definitely spent a lot of time doing that and, and dealing with challenging managers and things like that over the course of my corporate career. Um, but I was very lucky as well to have great mentors. So the vice president on my team took me under his wing and helped lend me story presentations for big films coming up, put me in front of his execs. I got to start to do some of that work. And then ultimately I was promoted. Well, essentially my role was reshifted and ultimately I was promoted into a role where I I handle communications for the entire team, but that only came after I thought I was going to be fired, which is a story I tell in the book, in fact, but this is what can happen in life is I was in the wrong role and then they suddenly saw that I had great potential to put me into that other right role. So those things can happen. And I think for me, once I finally got to the job that I thought I wanted, I took a look around and went, oh, this isn't really what I want because it's like a really cool, exciting job. Like I was working with filmmakers to help tell the stories of these films, working at big fan events like D23 and in, in the room with big executives and they wanted to know what I had to say and what I would write, all of those things. But when you get everything you want, you get a chance to see if that's really what you want. And I, I think for me it didn't have the magic secret sauce of it was fun. It was challenging. I enjoyed it, but it didn't change anybody's life. And for me, that rewarding nature of work was super important. So it was eye opening to me to go, you know what? I don't want this lifestyle. I don't want to live in Los Angeles. And I really want to have a job that makes a difference in somebody's life. And like working on these movies is great, but I wasn't even changing the movie, right? I was just telling the rest of the company about the movie and that is fun and sexy and cool. But at the end of the day and at the end of my life, well, I've been really proud of that work. I'm proud I did it. I'm really glad I did it. But I knew I had to do something bigger, more impactful on a personal level. And that is what helping people start and rebrand and tell their story in their business is so much more rewarding. Just one of those projects is so much more rewarding than the five years I spent in the film industry. And 
I love that you took this skill set that you had that you sounds like you're a natural at, right? It was just maybe one of your natural gifts because you grew up writing stories and plays and all of that and managed to find work where you could do that. And it was or work on those types of productions. And it was exciting. And you honed in on the storytelling part of the whole thing and then made that big shift to telling stories in a very different context, really. So I think that's really cool. For sure, that was a huge change, but not a whole entirely new job in a sense, right? You're still telling stories. You're just doing it kind of really in service of other people, which is what it sounds like was the whole that was missing in the first place from the big, sexy dream job. It it was, and I talk a lot about that and permission to try, but I I think the thing is, is that it's so hard to see it all add up. And that's one of the points that I make in it is that you have to give yourself permission to try because you don't know how things are going to turn out. Like you and I can hop on a podcast and I can tell you this beautiful story of how A led to B to C to D, but I can promise you that at every stage step of that process that I had no idea what the heck was going on. And like, was I making a big mistake? And I was terrified to like quit a job at Disney. Like I told everybody I was going to go make it big in Hollywood and I did. And then I gave it all up. Like, what are they going to think of me? And like, what if I fail? And like, what if all these awful things happen? And, but I realized that the only way to get the answer is to ask the question. And that has served me really well. And I'm grateful that the story could all make sense. But what I tell everybody is no matter where you are in your story, it's going to make sense in the end. It doesn't make sense right now. But the best thing you can do is is ask the question. Like you're never going to get the answer unless you just go out and take the risk and ask the question. Right, right. And so that must have been very scary. And you talk about that in the book about it was frightening. And the I particularly liked the conversation and the dinner at In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> that sounded like, yes, very excited to make this next move. But gosh, this is kind of scary stuff. And just the acknowledgement that it really was scary and exciting both at the same time. I can't imagine what that was like, but I love that that's sort of like one of your, that's such a a pivotal moment when you think back in your journey. Yeah, that was what Katie's referencing is in the book. I talk about how my husband and I came together. We would do weekly dinners at In-N-Out Burger in California. And we had this conversation with, which was, are are we going to leave Los Angeles? Like we just got married. I said to him, I was really feeling it. And I was like, I was ready to like kind of pull up stakes and go. But I said, you know, look, if you really want to stick it out here, like we can do that, but we need to decide. Like we can't keep kind of going back and forth. Like are we wheels up or not? And we said, you know what? We're done. We're going to change our lives because there was, what we realized is there's never going to be an easier, better time we all put things off. And I I realized at that time we were newlyweds. We didn't have children. We didn't have a mortgage. I think we had one car payment, like that was it. And so it was, if we're not going to take this risk now, we're going to wait till we have children. We're going to wait till we have an expensive house that we can't afford. Like what? No, we're going to, we're going to do this while we still have the opportunity to do it. It's funny because he was on the similar track to me. And now, so he was going on the sort of development producer, executive, that sort of role. And now he's literally upstairs studying uh, to become a physical therapist. So he is in his second year of physical therapy school at Elon University here in North Carolina and um, thriving and loving what he does. And I don't think he would have discovered that dream had we not gotten out of the smog in LA and got come back home to where I'm from here in North Carolina. Yeah, that's, well, and you bring up an important point of like juggling two careers and what if one of you was ready to go and the other one wasn't? That would have been hard. So sounds like you both talked each other through it and had each other's uh, backs through the whole thing. And, and you're really both on very different journeys. 
than you were before. We're both reformed film kids. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. You also mentioned thinking about what will other people think, right? If I, this looks so great from the outside, I'm working at Disney. That's amazing. Tons of people would love to work at Disney. And here I am doing it and working on all these movies and it's exciting. And so, yeah, talk to me about, you You touch on that in the book too. And and that really resonated with me, but just the whole, what will people think? People will think I'm crazy if I do this. How did that play into your thought process? I think I knew for a very long time relative to when I made a decision to leave and to quit my job, that it wasn't really what I wanted that it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, that the film industry wasn't what I thought it was going to be, that it wasn't as creative. I was really frustrated because a lot of my, ironically, a lot of my job, I feel like 90% of my job was doing the administrative stuff to show that the 10% of what I could do, you know, and today I would tell you, I spend 90% of my time showing what I can do and 10% on taxes. It's a total (laughs) flip, but I felt like I couldn't put my energy into that. And so I felt like it was like sort of this shameful secret for many years, even from the very first jobs I had in LA, that job as a second assistant. And I thought maybe I'll become a screenwriter. Maybe I'll do these things. But I think I knew in the back of my mind that it wasn't really what I wanted. That wasn't fulfilling, but I didn't have a better answer. And I think that's why a lot of us stay stuck is that we don't know what's going to happen next if we give it all up. We're terrified of what other people are going to say. I grew up being a people pleaser. I'm a reform, I'm working on being a reform people pleaser um, and having good boundaries. Very healthy thing to do in your 30s. But what I generally found over time is that I, I cared less and less about that, about what other people had to say because I realized a couple of things about what other people have to say. And one of the biggest things is that people often give you advice based on what they would do, not on what you really should do. They're coming from a place of maybe they're terrified to do what you're going to do. I had friends who tried to talk me out of taking my business full time, for example, because they were terrified I was going to fail because they thought they would fail if they did it. It wasn't about me. Austin Cleon, who's uh, one of my favorite authors, he says, "All, all advice is autobiographical. So taking it with a grain of salt and realizing that most people are scared to take risks. They are scared to do big things. They are unhappy in their lives. And that was sort of the other thing I realized was that if I am right and I take a risk and it paid off and they're not taking those risks and they're telling me not to do it, but then I, I prove them wrong. What does that mean for them? If they're sitting in a life, which I think unfortunately too many of the people in my life, especially at the time when I made these decisions were slaves to kind of their fears. Right. And uh, as we all are. Right. And so needing to give themselves permission to figure it all out. So what I realized is I sort of realized where people were coming from. And that took away a lot of the power that worrying about what other people thought held over me. And as you probably read in the book, Katie, I share some stories about how it was really surprising how people reacted. Like when I went and I told people over coffee that, I, hey, I'm leaving Disney after five years. I finally got promoted and now I'm I'm leaving and I have no idea what I'm going to do. I didn't know I was going to start a business at the time, like I didn't have it all tapped up. But I had these coffees and I got like one of two reactions from people at Disney at every level. So even the highest executive levels, they said, oh my God, I'm so happy for you. I'm thrilled for you. You're going to be so successful. They couldn't have been warmer, more happy for me. The second was even funnier, which was, uh, I'm jealous. I really wish I could leave. I had somebody who'd been there for decades who was like, I wish I could reinvent myself and I feel like I can't. So imagine if I hadn't taken that leap, like that that was sitting in people's minds and I was so terrified of what they were going to say. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's probably one of those lessons. I hope that like sticks with you. I know when I read the book, it really stuck with me, particularly exactly as you say that half of the people reacted with, oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. I wish I could do that. And probably those may have been some of the same people who would have said, oh gosh, don't do that. That's so risky. If you had asked for their opinion. It was different to tell them what I was doing versus asking for their opinion about whether I should do it. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. Good point. It's funny. I always, my sister and I are very close and she asks for my advice all the time. And then no matter what I say, she argues with me <laughs> like because she already knows what the right answer is. And so she just wants me to listen to her, not to tell her what to do. So I finally figured that out. But it's just a funny thing about asking other people, you know, yeah. and, and you can't live that way. You have to know for yourself. But, and so the book to me, the title Permission to Try kind of spoke to the whole, this is a book about taking action. And to that point, you have exercises throughout the book to sort of bring the reader along on the journey that you took. And so probably these are the exercises you wish you had when you were trying to figure this out and they didn't exist. So you created them. So thank you for that. But I do think as I was reading it, I was thinking like, this is not like your beach read book. This is like, this is a, almost a, it's a book and a workbook, right? Because it's encouraging you to really take action. And that was one of the things I liked about it, but it's also written very much in the tone of, it's like talking to a girlfriend. Right, right. I like to say it's like having a coffee conversation because I knew I wanted to write a book, but I, again, I had no answers, didn't know what I was going to write about. And I said, well, what do I tell people? What advice do I give people about how to do this? And it's a conversation over coffee um, with you, but also a conversation with myself when I was 27 years old and what I needed to hear and the things that I needed to take action on. And um, it absolutely can be, you can kind of read around in the stories, but as you said, it's a workbook and it comes, there's exercises at the end of each, many of the chapters, right? And there's also a printable workbook it comes with. So if you get the book, there's actually a place you can go to download all of the exercises in the book in one awesome workbook. But if you are listening and you're interested in this, there is actually a free exercise from the book that is at permissiontotry.com. So make sure to check that out. You can read the introduction there, but there is also a free exercise if you want to see kind of what's inside and see if you can start working on your journey to give yourself permission to try. Yep. Love that. And so you came to the point where you kind of made a deal with yourself, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Tell us about that. Okay. So I, I made a deal with myself. So this is a story about when I, we came to North Carolina in 2013 and I'd quit my job and my husband had quit his job. The plan was to get new jobs. It wasn't, I had a business, I was starting a business, but it was gonna be a side business. And I did that look for a job for a few months, ended up turning down some job offers and realized that I really wanted to go full time with the business because I felt like, why did I quit Disney if I wasn't going to give myself a hundred percent chance to be me in something. And I can't do that in a part-time job. And so I was lucky that my husband had gotten a job. So we had a little bit of less pressure on us budget wise. And I made a deal with myself. I said, can I, what if I give myself a year? 
a year to really put 100% of Annie into something for the first time in my professional career and have it not be a side gig or hustle or whatever. And I said, my husband bought into that and he was the one who championed it. In fact, he was building me up and saying, you can do it because I was, I was terrified no one would hire me. I was terrified I wouldn't make money. I was going to you know fall flat on my face because I knew nothing about running a business. Um, and that was January 25th, 2014. And it has been over uh, six years at this point. And I now uh, make a lot more money than I made at Disney. And I have clients that I love and I never look back. I went full-time and it was a year beyond. But I think I'm glad you brought that up because if you're listening and you're kind of on the cusp of something, it's helpful to make a deal with yourself. Give yourself six months, give yourself a year because that was the permission I had to give myself to make that happen, right? To, to be brave enough to, to fully invest myself in it and see what happened. It could have failed and led me to a job. And I realized that, look, if I spent a year doing this, it would still make me a valuable person to go be hired by another company. But luckily I never had to do that and I'm still my own boss. Yeah, that's great. Congrats on that. That's that's a, a big leap to take and um, so wonderful to see all the success you've had with that. So another thing I was thinking about as I read Permission to Try was that this book applies in so many cases, I think, just the idea of give yourself permission to try something. And I work a lot with women who are going back to work after taking a break from their careers. And that seems to be a space where a lot of women need permission to try that out because it will not just involve going and getting a job. That would not be traumatic. But the idea that like this is going to cause a whole shift in what happens at home now, if there are still kids home and just the need to offload a lot of the things that women take on when they're not working and many take on when they are working as well, having to make new arrangements and all of that and what feels like sort of upend other people's lives. Sometimes if you think about the changing dynamic at home, and I know as I was going back to work, like the whole permission to try thing is something like you got to give yourself a chance to do it and to succeed at it. Because if you want to be held back by the thought of, oh, I can't do that because who's going to take the kids around and who's going to do this and who's going to do that. And, and this whole place will fall apart if I'm not here all the time. And so you kind of have to give a yourself permission to try that and take that leap and be like permission to trust that other people can pick up the slack where of all the things that you once did. And so I just thought that the message, the confidence boosting message in this was really relevant to women going back to work. In addition to anybody who's thinking about their next job or leaving a job or starting a business, there's just so many scenarios in life where this idea is applicable. So I don't know if you have thought about that since writing the book, but yeah. um, there's just so many, so many people that I want to give this book to in different oh. stages of their lives. <laughs> right. And that, and that was the thing. And I think I, I say that toward the end of the book, I say something like, keep this on your shelf, give it to someone who needs it, come back to it when you need it. And I knew at the time I wrote it in, finished it in the fall of 2018. 
So it's been almost two years. And I remember at that time knowing, writing this to myself essentially and saying, come back to this because it's so, I've already been through several permission to try cycles in my life. And I go back and I go, I'm afraid I can't do it. I can't do it. And then I give myself permission to try. And it's interesting you're sharing this. I, I know you specialize in sort of helping women come back right for after having children and um in the book i talk about my struggle with infertility and this is my, my very first interview where i can say i'm a mom um which i am Yay. so grateful to say <laughs> but i i now feel like i understand that journey better like i understood the pain and anguish of being someone who struggled with infertility i understood that two years ago but now um, i have this insane story to tell now of coming back i was on maternity leave when coronavirus happened and what do you do as the, I was the, I'm the only breadwinner in my house. My husband's in grad school full time. We're living off savings. I took five or six months off to have the baby as our very first baby. His name is Leo. He's amazing. But I was panicking. Like, just like you said, fear can be paralyzing. And even though I'm literally the girl who wrote the book, I'm going, oh my God, I can't give myself permission to do any of this. I'd be insane to come back from, from maternity leave and open a business. Should I just wait this out? Like I was supposed to come back right at the end of March, beginning of April. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was panic. And I, I'm going to put Leo in daycare in the middle of it. Like, what am I going to do? Because my husband's full-time at school. And I, I was, I remember I was in tears with him, confronting him over this going, oh, we have to put him in daycare. I don't know how I'm supposed to do. How am I supposed to run a business and do this and be everything? And you're going to be in school and we can't take you out of school because this is where all our money's going. And my brain was like going a mile a minute and all these reasons I couldn't do things. I can't, oh, Leo can't be at home with me because I can't get any work done. Well, Two weeks later, not even from this conversation, we are in the middle of a pandemic. We all go on lockdown, right? In quarantine. Suddenly Gus, my husband, is home doing school online, right? And I go, you know what? I finally realized I had to give myself permission to open the business because I wasn't going to be able to help anybody if I wasn't open. And so I made the decision at the end of March, say, okay, I'm going to send a bunch of emails. We're reopening. If it's crickets, then fine. I'm just going to be with Leo. And I can tell you that, that um, April was up 100%. May was up 500%. Wow. Which sounds like a cartoon. Like it sounds like it's not real numbers, but it is real, real numbers. And so all the things I said, I can't work with Leo here. I work with Leo here all the time. My sister-in-law is here right now. My, my husband is here. We all pass the baby around and my sister-in-law comes a few days a week and we're just making it work. But I never would have this reality of being able to take care of my family and being able to do grad school debt free and keep our, ourselves afloat as the only person coming back from maternity leave in the middle of a pandemic if I hadn't thrown the doors open, right? But that fear of what was going to happen to myself and my business was really real. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I, I feel for all the working women out there that are struggling with that idea. Um, even though I didn't go back to a boss, I don't know how I would have done that either. So um, all of us are in that boat of, of facing uncertainty right now. But, you know, my counselor has said this and I believe it too, which is you got to do what's within your control. And it was within my control to say, I'm out there, I'm open. And, and people came in and said, Hey, I need your help. And, and that's been a phenomenally wonderful way to get back into the work that I do. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. What do you attribute that huge increase to? 
I think that people, at least the, the clients I work with, know that it's really important to tell their story. They struggle with confidence and clarity. They know that the way they're putting their business out there, like a coach or a consultant, it really matters. And if you're not confident in what you're doing or you don't know if you're saying it the right way, you don't talk about it and you don't market yourself. And suddenly we're in an era now where it's more important than ever to get your business in front of people and to grow with confidence. And if you don't have that, you're stuck. And so that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing from some of my clients too that they finally have time to do branding. But I just feel also like I've been telling people it's like popcorn. It's like, well, you ever make popcorn on the stove? Yeah. Like with a whirly pop, right? So you, the way you make popcorn on the stove is you get the oil going and you get it kind of slow heating, right? And you maybe put one kernel in there and you wait for it and you wait for it and you wait for it. And it feels like forever. And then one kernel pops and then another kernel and then suddenly all of them pop. And I feel like the past several years in my business from 2016 onward has been like, a little bit of the oil, a little bit of this. It's, it's all, it's not an accident that all of this happened. It was a lot of hard work and a lot of late nights that now all the popcorn is popping here in 2020. But hey, if I, I could have picked a better time when I just had a baby, I'm the only person bringing in an income, this would be the perfect time for the popcorn to pop, right? <laughs> um, and not for it to burn. So we're going to keep it going. But um, having a smart business that I love to have, like that's something I'm very passionate about. And that's actually the subject of uh, my next book. So that's going to be all about how to do that, how to get the popcorn to pop in what you do and how to have confidence in how you present your business. Nice. I love the analogy, the popcorn. That's fantastic. And I see a lot of parallels too between businesses that need to be really clear on who they are and what they do and job seekers also. I find that's something I tell job seekers a lot, like know exactly what your skill set is, what problem you can solve with that and Who's got that problem, right? And And remember, it's not about you. Right, right. It's all about somebody else and what you can do for them. So, And that's no different than in business. Your business is about your ideal client. It's less about who you are. You're not the hero. And that's, I think that's so forgotten in the job world because the job world, you're thinking, well, I need a job. And it's like, well, of course you need a job, but that person doesn't want to hire you because it's a great opportunity for you. They want to hire you because they need you to solve a problem for them. To your point. Mm -hmm. Yep. Good. Good point. Well said. Let's see. I'm looking through my list of other things that I wanted to ask you. And so here's one when, so you made really a dramatic life change, West coast to the East coast changed your, your business and everything. Husband did too. Looking back, anything you would do differently? I don't think so. I think I'm very, I'm very lucky that I can say that, but I remember feeling, and I still think this is true, that I don't feel like I stayed, I left a day too early or stayed a day too late. Like it was almost exactly the amount of experience and wisdom and life, like life lived that I needed to know I made the right decision. And I have a friend who's going through a crisis right now and she's gone through a similar thing where it took her two years to arrive at a decision that I was like, you should do this. Like it was in 30 seconds of when I told her she should do that. But for her, it took her that time to know she made the right decision. And we all have different timelines in our lives. And I, I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't draw from my experience in LA and taking those risks. That in and of itself, leaving North Carolina to go to Los Angeles was a huge risk, right? That was something I had to give my permission for. And I couldn't have had the perspective or had the business that I do now had I not walked through those steps. So I think at every point I made the best decision I possibly could. And I, I think as long as you are 
confidently giving yourself permission to try new things and to know that part of giving yourself permission to try is giving yourself permission to fail. And I haven't been successful in everything I've done far from it. We're talking about the highlights because we're out here on a podcast, but like we all struggle with stuff and I, I, I made mistakes along the way, but those mistakes also led to great things. At the end of the day, like I am incredibly grateful for the entire journey in and of itself because I wouldn't be here now. I wouldn't have the life I have. I certainly wouldn't have the husband or the child that I have now if we hadn't made certain decisions a lot or the business, right? It's all sort of this great mosaic or quilt of your life of like that you just keep getting to add to. And I, and that's one of the things I try to talk about in the book is that you don't, it's not to do something new. You're not deleting anything that you've already done. You know, you get to, you always get to build on the story and the story will make sense in the end. Yeah, that's great. I always think there's nothing wasted in life. It might be a good experience or it was a bad experience, but it wasn't wasted because you're going to learn from that and grow from that. And, and it will get you to the next thing. So even if it's something that sucks going through, <laughs> it's it's part of life, right? It um, is. But I, I love yeah. that you look back and think, I didn't stay a day longer than I should have and I didn't leave a day too early. Like that must be a fantastic feeling to be able to look back and think that. Yeah, and I didn't know that at the time, right? I had absolutely no idea I was gonna do what I left. Um, and I cried, I cried a lot the day I left. But it's lovely to be able to look back and say that is that is truly a gift. Yeah. Cool. One other thing that I enjoyed in the book is that you said you've gone back to visit and the friends are still having some of the same conversations. And I thought, oh my gosh, yes, I totally understand that. You go to lunch, you complain about something about the job and you keep complaining about it and keep complaining about it. And then you go back and visit a few years later and they're still complaining about it. Yeah, literally <laughs> so. the same arguments and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. Well, yeah, that hopefully makes you feel like, yes, I so did the right thing here. Yeah, I mean, and people right have now. still made great advancements, right? And they're still, you know, working through their careers. But I think we've all been there when we've gone back to our old workplace, whatever that is, right? And then seeing, oh, you guys are still like chatting about this? Because <laughs> I think we all talk out our feelings because we're trying to solve the problem, right? We're talking like, why won't they promote me? Like, let's talk about this for the nth time. And one of the things I point out in the book is like, if you actually track how often you bring up these things, you might realize like, oh, this is a really big problem and I need to like deal with it because just talking to my coworkers is not, not solving anything. And that's where most of us find ourselves. But I think the level at every stage of my life, the more intention I brought to it, the more strategy I brought to it, the better my life has been. The better choices I've been able to make, the more intention I am. When you just complain all the time at, at lunch, if you're not paying attention to how often you're doing that, you can't take any action on it. You're just totally unaware. It's right? so bringing that awareness to your life. What are you complaining about these days? What is bothering you? The first step in dealing with it is writing it, like being aware of it. If you're not aware of it and you're not aware of the frequency of it, there's going to be very little you're going to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good point. That intentionality piece yeah. is huge, huge, huge. So you did a great job organizing this book kind of into phases and steps. So if you were to kind of sum up your best advice for somebody who needed permission to try something new and big in their life, what would that be? 
Well, the book, as you said, the book is, it's, it's 11 things you need to hear when you're scared to change your life. So that means there's sort of 11 chapters that will build on each other to help you feel like you can give yourself permission to do that thing that you're thinking about doing. And that, that doesn't necessarily have to even be a job, right? It could be something like starting a business. It could be something like doing something new in your personal life, making a big personal change, whatever it may be. But I think the three parts sort of say it best. So if you had to do it in sort of a three-step scenario, I think the first part is to rethink your purpose. So if you're not feeling very purposeful, try to figure out what it is you are excited and passionate and purposeful about. Like, what is your purpose? What do you want to do? What does rewarding work look like? The second part is called embrace change and take action. And so that's about not being afraid to do something different with your life and to start taking action on that. So like face it, dealing with that change is coming change is uncomfortable, but taking action is the key to get through it. And the last part is face your feelings, failures, and fears. So that I think was the biggest thing is that you you asked me earlier about, well, what about what other people say? And like, what are other people going to say? And how do I feel about that? What I ultimately realized about giving myself the permission I needed was that it was about me. It had nothing to do with other people. And I was, I'd been putting it off on other people and I wasn't facing how I really felt and what I was really afraid of and what I was afraid to do, which was to fail because it's what we're all afraid to do. And so I share some stories in the book about failing and about facing my fears and, and my failures and sort of what that led me to at the end of the day was giving myself permission to try. So I think if you can do those things to rethink your purpose, to embrace change and take action, and then to face your feelings, fears, and failures, if you can do those things, then you've eliminated any sort of barrier to giving yourself permission to try. Nice. Love it. Well, this was a fantastic book and and I so appreciate you coming on to talk about it. I also want to mention that through Back to Business, we are having a virtual book club discussion of this book that Annie will be joining us for. And I'm really excited about that. Just the chance to have all of the women that I talk to through Back to Business who are returning to work after a career break or have already done so to share the ideas in here with them and the confidence building nature of this book and the sort of calls to action that you provide in here. So super excited about that. That's going to be on July 8th at noon. We're meeting via Zoom. So you can join us from anywhere and you can register on the back to business conference.com website. So really looking forward to that. And Annie, where else can people find you if they're interested in your work and want to buy the book? Well, if you want to know more about the book, it's very simple. Literally go to permissiontotry.com. So you can find that's going to bring you to my website, but specifically to the page about the book. So the book is on Amazon. It's on Audible as well. Um, There is a freebie. So if you want to work on how to figure out what, how to do what you love, there is a great PDF. So check that out. It's at permissiontotry.com. If you are interested, if you are a woman coach or consultant and you need help telling your story, I offer help with that as well, which you can get to from that site, but also at greatest storycreative.com. All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for inspiring us with this book, with your story, with your lessons learned, really valuable for other people, I think, to see the journey that you went on and what you learned from it and appreciate how you've managed to organize it so neatly into a a great step-by-step kind of manual for making huge change in your life. So thank you. 
Well, thank you so much for having me, Katie. And it's going to be a joy to be part of that book club. I hope you'll join us on July 8th, where we can dive even deeper and answer your questions about permission to try. But Katie, thanks again for having me. You do such great work in inspiring women to go out there and get that job. So um, glad to be a part of that. Thank you. All right, folks, now that you have a great book recommendation that is going to give you permission to try to make that next big move in your life, go do it. I believe in you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Get a Job, Here's How podcast. You can find all the information from this episode in our show notes at www.backtobusinessconference.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please write a review so that we can reach more people. Now that you know how, go do it.